is two works that Moshe Chaim Yitzhater wrote. The one was, is called Der Hashem, the way of God, and the other one is called Mesilat Nisharim, the path of the upright. And he wrote many other works as well, but it's very interesting because these works deal with the same thing, but from very different perspectives. Both of them deal with the idea of what the world is all about. However, this work, Derech Hashem, deals what the world is about from almost looking from the top downwards. Looking at the world objectively and examining all the different components of what, is, what the world is made up of. And the, the work, Mesil Sesharim, part of the, of the just or the upright, it deals with when I'm the, on the receiving end. As the creation, how do I relate to this, this infrastructure that's being created around me? The way the, 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 way the Derech Hashem begins, his first point, his first chapter, and we'll contrast that with the way the Mesut Hashem begins. Derech Hashem begins with a basic fundamental point. He's describing the creation of the world. And he says, the creation of the world was prompted and motivated by one thing. Hine, he says in Hebrew, Hashem, God, wanted to share of His goodness to another. In other words, the purpose of creation, very simply, was the ultimate altruistic act. It was the desire for the Creator, not because of any lacking inside of Himself, but purely to endow, bestow of His goodness to a created being. Now, the Ramchal goes on to explain, Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, he goes on to explain that this is not so simple. Well, how do you do that? Because you want to give this created being the ultimate. The ultimate good, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate whatever. In order to do so, you have to first of all define what is that ultimate good. And inevitably you land up concluding the ultimate good is Hashem Himself. So essentially what you do is, in order to facilitate the purpose of creation, you have to take the ultimate good and give it to the created being. Aha! The problem is then you haven't created anything. You've just duplicated yourself, as it were. So how do you create a creation that can be given the ultimate good, which is you, but still let him have some type of identity and independence. The answer facilitates the creation of what's called evil. Suspended between the choices of good and evil, the created being now has to make a choice. If he chooses good, it now belongs to him. It's not thrust upon him, so he has independence. And the good that he chooses is the capacity to earn, as it were, a connection or a somehow, some type of um, embodiment of the goodness that the Creator has. That's the first chapter of the Derech Hashem. Comes along the Ramchal in Mesir Sasharim and he presents it from a very different perspective. The perspective he takes this time is, he starts it by saying, Yesod, the foundation, Hachasidut, of the ultimate connection to the Creator whereby you want to feel, you feel you want to give, as it were, to Hashem. 
and the root of perfect service, who is as follows. It should be crystal clear and deeply, profoundly true to the person. What you have to do in your world. And where you have to cast your gaze. In other words, when you think about what is the ultimate foundation and root. Interesting. Two different expressions to describe seemingly an overlapping concept. The foundation of chasidut and the root of what he calls perfect service. Avodat Mima. Why the difference in analogy between root, foundation? Both of them perform a function of stability. Stability. They stabilize the thing above them. The thing above them becomes solid. However, there's a difference between them. A foundation, Zach? Foundation support of the root causes growth. The foundation is, is in, inanimate. Yeah. Once it's put into place, it stays. It doesn't, doesn't make the building grow. The building doesn't get bigger because of its foundation. Whereas the root not only supports, but also sustains, nourishes, causes growth. Another difference perhaps between the two? Alex? Foundation, root? One's laying down and one is like, you actually have to work on it. Beautiful. One is proactive. If you don't build a foundation, it ain't coming by itself. Where's the roots grow? You put them in the right environment and they just do their own stuff. So now, hinted to in the words of Ramchal is there are two different ways of approaching development. What we're trying to do essentially is we're trying to embody the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is somehow to get a deeper connection to a reality which exists with inside ourselves and without ourselves. Meaning, there's a reality the world itself, seen from the Jewish perspective, is a smokescreen. It's a camouflage of another deeper world. But it's not actually a smokescreen. It's a kind of ambiguous entity, because at the same time, it covers over and yet exposes. The world is looked upon as an analogy. Meaning that the physical world is not looked upon laser only as a tangible, concrete covering over of a spiritual world. It is that as well. It's also looked upon as a revealer of the spiritual world. I'll give you an example. A random example. Don't know how accurate this may get this point across. Yesterday, uh, we went with the Shiva on a small excursion to one of the local parks to chill out and to play some random basketball, soccer and I rediscovered my love of skateboarding well I briefly rediscovered and then promptly lost my love of skateboarding in the following way um, someone had a board so I thought oh, let me have a bit of a, a go on it so I had a bit of a go on it but he, he advised me not to do it on the path because there were many little stones now, anyone who's skateboarded before realizes that little stones and skateboards with small wheels are a dangerous combination. Because what they tend to do, they tend to, they tend to jam between the wheel and the floor. And then what happens is the skateboard stops dead in its tracks. 
which is not a problem. The problem is you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result, the skateboard tacker went and the skateboard, I was going Gewaldic, Geschmack, good, fast. And then the skateboard decided to um, pause for a while as it encountered a stone. And, and I didn't. And uh, there I felt myself on the road, clasping, like trying to keep like safe face in front of like, the students. <laughs> Nothing, no, deliberately. I always do that when I first start. And um, grazed elbow and thinking, gosh, why did I do that? What a stupid sport. And at the same time, I realized, well, okay, so that's, that's, that's what happened. Now, how can I use it as, as then that's an analogy? So it's quite interesting. So the, the, I'll, I'll bring it back to the path of the just, the, the Ramchal, he says the following thing. He says, there's a vehicle that's able to transport us spiritually in the world. We're able to get into a spiritual vehicle. The spiritual vehicle that transports us is known as the mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are a, f- a form of transportation that allow us, they get us closer to some type of spiritual goal. So I thought, okay, now how is it relevant to my skateboarding excursion? Well, let's think what a skateboard is. A skateboard is a vehicle. And it transports you. Um, but the problem is like this. With any vehicle that transports you, so it means it's traveling across a, a, around, it's, go, it's going on something, it's traveling on a, on a path, on a road. And roads can often have blockages and obstacles. And therefore, even though you're in the car, it doesn't mean you only get to the destination because there may be something. First of all, you could go off the road, but even if you stay on the road, there may be pot- potholes. Or in the case of a skateboard, there may be little stones which stop the skateboard from moving forward. So then I could in hindsight reflect and say yes I fell off the skateboard but I could also look at it as a prompt to make an analogy about my life am I using the vehicle that I've been given to transport me or or are small stones obstructing it and am I flying forward and capsizing so I translated into an experience in my life yesterday there was a gentleman that didn't attend one of the sherry in one of the lectures and I said to him, where were you? In a very kind of strong and demanding way. Why didn't you attend the shir? So he said to me, Rabbi, he says, I have a toe infection. I was trying to get it taken care of. Boom! All of a sudden, my like, aggressive stance was deflected. You following? In other words, I was going on the skateboard, thinking that I was going great, and then all of a sudden I hit the stone and I came flying. You understand the analogy. You get you with me, lazy with the analogy. I mean, so the way we look at the world is as one big analogy. That a tree, when we look at a tree, is a tree, but also describes growth. I'll give you another example of this. The verse says, "Tzaddik, a righteous person, katamar yifrach, like a palm tree grows." Now there are many trees. Why would a tzaddik, a righteous person, grow like a palm tree? Ah, so if you look at a palm tree, palm trees are very different from other trees, correct? In what way? They're very straight, straight up. As opposed to other trees, most trees have branches. So what happens is the core diversifies into a series of of different branches which creates the shape and the structure of the tree. A palm tree is quite a bizarre structure. It has a, it it sprouts out branches into the palm fronds and then they die. And they form the next level for the palm tree to go forward. And it only really has one central core. 
So we start to analyze the conceptual understanding of what a palm tree is. It shows us the process of incremental growth, which often involves going in a direction, retracting, centering, going forward. Going in a direction, reconsidering, retracting, going forward. And then you see Sadiq, a righteous person, grows like a palm tree, and which makes that verse consistent with another verse. The other verse is Sadiq, Sheva Pa'amim Yipal Vakam. At Sadiq, falls down seven times and keeps on getting up. In other words, the nature of growth in spiritual endeavors is one where you keep focused, you put in effort, and then you realize it's a mistake, you fall, pick yourself up, and keep on growing. Keep on growing. So therefore, when you look at a palm tree, you say, gosh, look, there's a tzaddik! No, it's a palm tree. But within the palm tree, it embedded the meaning of a tzaddik. You follow me? So that's where how analogies shed light onto the world. The only way we can access the spiritual world, if we want to have a handle on it, is through the physical world, because we, a whole logical system of thinking is based on constructs which are visible, we can hear them, we can see them. So if I want to speak about Hashem, how can I begin to speak? He's ethereal, he's beyond. So I have to speak about things like the hand of Hashem. So in order for me to understand the hand of Hashem, first of all, I have to understand the hand. And then the hand, my hand, will reveal to me what it means, the hand of Hashem. When I understand the notion of what a hand is, what a hand does, in its deeper sense, so then I understand the hand of Hashem. So for example, when you, a hand, what a hand does is it the mechanism, the body part that I use to manipulate the world. When you lift up this book, I use my hand to do it. My hand is the way that my thoughts and my deeds impact. That's how I get. My, my, my legs are my form of transport. But I do things is my handiwork. When you type on a keyboard, I want to make something happen. I need my hands to make it happen. My hands are the way that I translate my actions into action. So then what's the hand of Hashem? Ah, the hand of Hashem is the mechanism he uses. It's not a fleshy hand like mine. It's a mechanism he uses to make things work. So when I say something happened in my life, which was unusual and perhaps bordering on the miraculous, above nature, say, oh, I saw the hand of Hashem. And I can recognize what that means because I know what a hand is. You following me? So as a, as a result, this world simultaneously hides but exposes. That's what I meant by that. So now, here we are in this world, and we've got two analogies of growth. One of building, foundation, and one of growing, a root. Now, what is this foundation, and what is this root? We want to build the highest possible structure imaginable. Chasidus, which is the highest level of connection to the created, to the created spiritual world. And avoid its member, which is the same. How do I do it? Quite simple. I have to know what I'm here for. I have to know what I'm here for. If I don't know what I'm here for, if I'm floundering around, floundering around in life, so then I can't possibly excel. You, you can't, if a person's in a race and he's not quite sure where the finishing line is, he ain't going to win. If you're in a game and you don't know the rules, you're not going to be able to succeed. Number one is you have to know, what am I doing here? What am I here for? What am I doing here? When you know what you're doing for, then the chances of succeeding begin. Comes along the Ramchal in Mesilisharim and he says, You were created for one thing, the mirror image of what he says in Derek Hashem. He says, You were created, Laser, for one purpose and one purpose alone, to get pleasure from Hashem. And the reason is quite simple, because that's ultimate pleasure. So you're created for the ultimate pleasure. Now I want to explore that idea of the creation for the ultimate pleasure, because it's not so intuitive. In fact, we kind of think otherwise. And I want to do it in terms of a parallel between two concepts one being identity and one being the nature of pleasure itself. 
So first he introduced you to the notion of identity. The way we could structure identity is on a four-tiered structure, four levels, but possibly introducing a fifth at a later stage. Four levels of identity. The most external part of ourselves is our possessions. We identify with our possessions. We look at the way we dress, the kind of house that we live in, the, the watch we wear, the car we drive. We have a connection to them which is more than just ownership in terms of financial assets. We feel emotionally involved with our possessions. We feel they're expressive of ourselves. We do. When I see my shirt, I go, that's my shirt. I feel that somehow that's a bit of me there. My watch, <laughs> my... I feel embedded in my, in my material stuff as well. My phone. <laughs> my phone is me. It's not my identity. It's actually me. <laughs> People have identity crisis if they keep Shabbos and they have to switch off their phone. They suddenly say, well, who am I? They've lost their ability to position themselves because their GPS is down. They they've lost their memory because it's all inside the phone. They've lost their access to information because it's all inside the phone. So what, what is left? What is actually left when you switch off your phone? Shell. Shell. <laughs> okay, so you identify with your possessions. Uh, one level going, going one level closer to oneself So, is your, your body. We identify with our bodies. We look at the way that we look, we look at our facial features, we look at the, the structure of our bodies, the size of our biceps. Do we have a ripped six-pack or not? If we don't, better stay off the beach this summer. We look at our body as an expression of ourselves. we look at our face as an expression of ourselves. That's, that's also our identity, if they're me, it's also that's part of me, I identify with that. Going a little bit deeper, the next thing we'd identify with our, our emotions, our, our personality type. We'd say, well, I'm a generous person, or I'm, I'm, I'm a humorous person. We, we identify to what's called in Hebrew midot, our character traits. Going one step deeper, we identify with our ideals, our thoughts, our conceptions, our values, our, the way we perceive the world, our model, our intellectual and our, our conceptual model of the world. And all of those things I have my identity expressed. Now the truth is, different people express their identity more primarily in different parts of those four stages. You get some people that they find a lot of their identity in their material possessions. And, and that's why we say, well, those people are superficial because that's really the outer crust of identity. And, and the reason why it's superficial is because you can buy it in a shop. <laughs> You know, if you can buy yourself in a shop, so then <laughs> it's obviously not the deepest part of your individual being. Someone in China made it. So therefore, possessions aren't the ultimate expression of self. Now, our body is also, first of all, it's very, it's, it kind of changes and tends to deteriorate over time. <laughs> I had to break it to you. But it's, it's obviously not fundamentally expressive of ourselves. It's also it's a temporary thing and changes shape the whole time. And actually, you know, it kind of regenerates itself. So it's not the most permanent, but again, it's, it's, it's part of it. Uh, I thought that Ron Paul also says that the body is like a, a vehicle for like an access and a service to God. And Absolutely. Pain, which is to find the ultimate pleasure. So let, 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 let's excellent. I'll try to address that very shortly. But I'm just I'm just now looking at these different parts of ourselves as identity components, and then maybe we'll shift. So now the next thing you know, so let's say a person kind of transcends and he doesn't like really invest himself as being his body he realizes that there's more to him and he starts to connect his personality so that's great but it's, again it's not essential it's not nearly as essential as, as your value system the way you perceive the world your conceptual 
reality. So we think that, well, that's obviously that's the, that's the core of a person's identity. But the truth is, there's one step which goes deeper than that. There's one step which is deeper than that. Because the truth is, all of these other things, my model of the world, even though it's advanced, conceptual, and deep, and wise, my personality, my body, and my possessions, are all perishable items. One day they'll all be gone. So if I'm looking at an essential core of reality, if I acknowledge the notion of an eternal humanity, something which is, that there's, there's a man which is not limited, he's beyond the animal, he's beyond the finite, he has a part of him which is essential, meaning it transcends time and space, completely transcends time and space, so then I locate inside of myself a fifth component of my identity, call it the soul. Now, what happens is, and this is what Jason hinted to, is when you encounter that fifth perspective, that, that fifth component of the soul, all other four components shift dramatically. No longer do those four components act as indicators of identity. They become vehicle of expression. They become vehicles of expression. So what happens is everything shifts. Because now, it's not that my thought processes, which I used to build my model, are who I am. Rather... I can allow them to express the beauty of my soul through thinking the thoughts which are, intri- which are intrinsically created to a higher spiritual world. Now my personality traits can reflect the beauty of my soul in the way that I give, in the way that I encourage through humor, in the way that I'm able to use self-discipline for restriction, in the way I'm able to balance, balance things out with truth. I can use my body as a vehicle for assisting other people. Again, it all becomes a vehicle of expression. I can use my property as a vehicle of expression. I can use it for charity. I can use it for welcoming guests. I can So all these things, if I look at them as me, so then they become dislocated from my soul, and essentially they become independent factors which define who I am. If I look at me as my soul, so then they become facilitators of expression. There's this radical shift and it changes everything. One new dimension completely transforms the previous four dimensions. In other words, not that I'm a body with a soul, but I'm a soul with a body. I need it. I need, I need my mind to think. I need my emotions to feel. I need my body to move and I need my possessions to be there. But all those things can allow the soul to find its place and manifest itself in the world. It can manifest the soul through the particular kind of thought. I can manifest the soul through a particular type of emotion, action, or possession. Good? I want to now correlate this to what the Ramchal says that we have to achieve the ultimate pleasure in terms of what that ultimate pleasure is and make, there's almost an analogy between these five levels of self and five levels of pleasure. It doesn't match perfectly but it's, it's a very strong correspondence. Um... And, and this, this, idea, this idea, I think, was popularized by a person called Rebnerch Weinberg. But I think it, it very much matches our analysis of self. And it's as follows. The ultimate and the lowest form of pleasure, we have to, we have to admit, is physical pleasure. That kind of, the, the, the pleasure where you, it, it takes on two components. Just like the two outer crusts of a person are his possessions and his body, the two lowest levels of pleasure are the pleasure that we gain from accumulating, amassing physical possessions and the pleasure that we gain from tingling our nerve senses, from indulging in the different pleasures of the flesh. 
we all intuitively realize that that pleasure is on a lower level than an emotional pleasure and that's why we gladly sacrifice a physical pleasure for an emotional pleasure if you love a person which is an emotional connection you'll give them your ice cream <laughs> even though it's a struggle you'd rather have that delicious cold milky chocolatey substance melting in your own mouth with someone that loves you say this pleasure is nothing in comparison to me giving it to you so an emotional pleasure is way way above a physical pleasure you'll take your possessions and you'll, you'll generously not only, you won't even feel it won't even be a struggle when you love someone because in terms of an emotional and physical relationship we all, we all understand that an emotional connection and emotional experience of pleasure is, is a higher is a higher one than, than physical which of course corresponds to the to the first and second first, second and third levels of self the lowest level is our possessions it's far less felt and appreciated then we go into our person uh, then we go into our body and then we go into our personality personality is a high it's a high in the hierarchy of self but then again if you go one step up which in, is the fourth level we described in terms of a person um, you get to ideals now we'll gladly sacrifice love for ideals. That's why people allow their children to enter into an army and make it killed. Well, because they feel that the cause is greater than the love of their child. So we, we understand that ideologies, the concepts, values are actually even larger. The kind of connection, the experience of pleasure that we get from those is on a, is on a vastly higher level even an emotional connection. So as we ascend in the levels of self, we see it corresponds to the way that we'll be willing to sacrifice one for the other. One level above that would be either what we call power. Power is the the capacity to feel creative in the deeper sense of the world word and that's why a person who has ideals will almost lose those ideals when he becomes besotted with the notion of power absolute power corrupts absolutely because the ideals then becomes secondary to to the power that he experiences the creative force that's if it's abused if it's used it's the most powerful thing there is and now there's that transcendent level transcendent level is when you recognize an ultimate power. Now, this level is very hard to discuss because the previous levels are somehow we can experience them. This fifth level um, is sometimes not so accessible to us. And this fifth level corresponds to the level of the soul. The soul in its very nature is the capacity to connect to the Creator Himself. It's the way the different works describe it is It's a piece, as it were. Ridiculous to even say the words, a piece of Hashem Himself. So when you have that, you've got a piece of eternity, a piece of the Creator, a piece of the Creator within you. So that, essentially, is a power beyond the ultimate power. It's the acknowledgement of a power that transcends every other power. And connecting to that component of self is the ultimate pleasure and is the ultimate sense of 
coming home in terms of identity. And that component of self is probably the most hidden and initially difficult to access thing that there is in the world. But on the other hand, extremely accessible. To penetrate oneself until you reach a point where you're cognizant experientially of the fact that everything else is just a transient vehicle which allows me to express the deeper sense of being into the world but it's nothing more than that and that becomes a fundamental theme in in Torah and Judaism Um, so I'm sorry that I spoke uninterruptedly for for so long it's generally far more (laughs) Interactive, but I would like to uh, open up the floor for anyone who has any questions now. Yes, Avi. Uh, speaking on the nature of pleasure being the spiritual and, and expressing the spiritual through the rest of the other physical, uh, emotional, ideal power pleasures, um, where does once you've experienced that and try to transcend everything into that that framework, where does individuality come in at all? Because you're That's trying a to do everything question. through that mindset and then you don't have any then you're just going with the flow it's like Taoism in that sense you're just, right. you don't have any control of it it's what's happening right where, does, where do you come in right to that, to that spiritual level so, so the, way, the way that we perceive the notion of individuality is that each person essentially is a um, a lens that can reflect a different aspect of Hashem's light the totality of us as a people creates the unity of Hashem but individually each one of us has a specific and basic imperative to do something that bring into the world bring these terms a light that no one else can and that's quite interesting the Gemara in Sanhedrin when it discusses the kind of um, cautionary message that you give to witnesses before they testify against a person that's liable for the death penalty says be careful because if you falsely testify against this person you've destroyed a world because any person that takes away the life of one person has taken away the life has taken away a whole world and then the Mishnah concludes and says because of that, a person is obligated to say the world was created for me. Meaning there's through your unique composition of call it your unique soul, you can refract a light that can never be refracted by anyone else, never was and never will be in the universe. And that's what makes your life relevant. Were you to be just a reproduction of someone else, then why why would we need you? Someone else has already done the job. But one of the most basic components, and that's why if you go back to the words of the Ramchal, he doesn't say that the person's most basic point of building a foundation and striking a root is to know his obligation in the world. He says he has to know his obligation in his world. Because everyone has their own world. Okay, Rabbi Isai, gentlemen, uh, maybe we'll call it a day for the moment. But thank you for your 
your rapt attention and I, I, I hopefully next time I'll speak less and you'll speak more. I apologize.